you have a copy of God's Word, please open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Specifically, we'll look briefly in a little bit in verses 8 to 13, not as much as we've certainly done already, uh, but if you're using one of the chair Bibles, you can find that on page 576. You can just hold your place, and again, like I said, we'll return back there briefly towards the end. In his book, Reformation, or Reformation, Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow, author Carl Truman reminds Christians who are living in the 21st century of our need to be the church that is always reforming. Uh, That just simply means we are always returning back and conforming our lives and our church ministries back to the rule or standard of the Holy Scriptures. Uh, Oftentimes we think of the Reformation as the Protestant Reformation. You know, Luther's 95 Theses on the door to Wittenberg, and think through all the, quote, Reformers. But friends, those dear brothers and sisters, even back then, would tell us the same thing we need to hear today. There has never been a time in the history of Christendom that we always need reform. Because if, we are, if we're not conforming our lives and our church practices to the Bible, guess what's happening? We're being conformed to the world. That's what Romans 12.2 says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Uh, this is what Carl Truman says in his book. Quote, we need to be constantly examining our church practices and procedures by the light of the word of God in order to make sure that we do what we do because it's biblical and not simply because it is familiar or aesthetically pleasing. He goes on to conclude, when we are affirming something, it must be for the right reason. And when we reject something, it must be for the right reason. Well, brothers and sisters, this is precisely what we've been trying to do here at CCBC ever since this church began. On September 20th, 2020, when we took the Lord's Supper together and recited those church covenant vows for the first time. And ever since then, even back in the old core team days, we have sought by God's grace to reform and continue to reform everything we do from church membership discipling one another, our Sunday morning gatherings, how we approach baptism and the Lord's Supper, church discipline, and church elders. And as of February 20th and in March 6th, we have begun to look afresh together at what the Bible teaches on the topic of church deacons. So just as a quick review of those previous two talks As we began studying that first talk, we looked primarily at the function of a deacon. What a deacon is, what the office of a deacon does, or its task, or job description that a deacon is called to fulfill in the life of a local church. As we began to study this topic, we started by looking at the word deacon itself. It doesn't tell us everything we need to know, but it surely will give us some clear direction. Uh, The Greek word we study together was diakonos, and it's a general term used throughout the New Testament that can be translated minister or servant in many of our New Testament translations. Uh, The term has a broad meaning in many different contexts, such as in Matthew 22, 13, it can be used of servants attending to a king. In John 2, verses 5 and 9, it speaks of a waiter at a wedding. Romans 13, verse 4, civil magistrates are called God's servant. Romans 15, 25, it speaks of someone bringing aid or serving others who are in need. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6, Paul calls himself a diakonos or a minister of the new covenant, a minister of the gospel. And then in John 12, 26, Jesus says that everyone that follows him will be called his diakonos or his servants. Uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon defines diakonos as one who executes the commands of another. A.T. Robertson defined diakonos as one running an errand for another. 
According to some theologians, the term diakonos, when it appears in close connection to the overseers or pastors or elders, it could be best understood then as assistance, attendance, or aids to the elders. As theologian and author Alexander Strout states, in many contexts, the idea is that of a subordinate carrying out an assignment on a superior's behalf and having full authority to execute the superior's delegated task. So instead of viewing deacons as only servants in the church, we should more specifically define deacons' task as serving in a subordinate role. That means they are coming under the authority of another to aid and to assist whatever task they've been authorized to carry out. Deacons, therefore, should not serve in kind of vague, broad terms, serving however they want, without any direction or accountability. Uh, Deacons are therefore looked at as model servants in the church who assist the elders, submit to the elders' leadership, and then carry out the elders' leadership to serve the needs of the congregation. So in summary of talk one, we concluded the following. Deacons are model servants of the local church. Deacons are exemplary assistants to the elders in the local church. Deacons are happy and helpful problem solvers to meet logistical, fiscal, and physical needs in the ministries of the church. Deacons are ministry mobilizers who facilitate and organize acts of service in the church. And deacons are peacemaking bodyguards who preserve the unity in the local church. Uh, After looking at Acts 6 together, uh, which is the closest example of what we see that deacons probably did in the first century, we saw that deacons were given a very specific job description, specific task, specific ways they were to carry out their service. Uh, They were not called a board of directors or a leadership committee. Uh, That's just totally foreign to the New Testament. Uh, Rather, deacons are to be task-oriented and to stay in their respective ministry lanes as they are given those lanes by the elders of that congregation. Another important question that's often asked and that we looked at together in talk one uh, as we look through the lens of scripture is the question regarding authority. Do deacons possess authority? Well, two quotes that I did mention, I'll just restate again, of others who have taught on this topic and how they distinguish the difference between an elder or a pastor and a deacon. In his book, Now That You're a Deacon, Howard Foshi says this, As a new deacon, you must understand that you have not been selected to an official board to exercise authority in the life of the church. The office of deacon is not an office of authority, but of service. And then H.B. Charles contrasts it really well. He says, if elders serve by leading, deacons lead by serving. If elders serve by leading, then deacons lead by serving. So in conclusion, on the function of a deacon and the discussion surrounding authority, we discovered this. Nowhere in the New Testament do we see deacons operate with the same authority or oversight as the elders do. They are not the same office. They are two distinctly different things, and they have different roles in the church. Uh, Nowhere in the New Testament do we see deacons as a decision-making board. Uh, They have a delegated responsibility, uh, but they are not committees. Uh, They are not uh, kind of the House and the Senate with the elders. It is not that way in the New Testament. And interestingly, nowhere in the New Testament are we told that elders are to submit to the deacons or the congregation to submit to the deacons. However, we are told that deacons assist the elders and the deacons serve the congregation. That's why at CCBC, if you want a quick tagline to know what our church polity, our church government, or how decisions are made and what our leadership structure is, here's a quick way to coin it. We are elder-led, deacon-served, and congregationally ruled. Elder-led, deacon-served, and congregationally ruled. Then on March 6, for our second talk together, we began looking at the Bible's teaching when it comes to godly character and efficient service for the office of a deacon. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said, if deacons cannot be trusted, 
they ought not to be deacons at all. But if they are worthy of their office, they are worthy of our confidence. So how do we know if a person can be trusted to serve in the office of a deacon? Well, we we don't have to, like, get a poll to figure that out. Uh, We don't have to look up books in the library. Uh, The Bible gives us exactly what makes someone trustworthy to serve in the office of deacon. So if you've got your Bibles, look with me down at 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 to 13. I've already expounded this in a previous talk, so I just want us to hear it again, hear it afresh, what God's Word says. 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households or their, and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, just a good summary of what that just said. It's something I've said in the previous talks. A qualified deacon shows a consistent, exemplary pattern of godliness, peacemaking, humility, and efficient service in the body of Christ. A qualified deacon shows a consistent, not perfect, but it's a consistent pattern of godliness, peacemaking, humility, and efficient service in the body of Christ. So, 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13 is very clear about what the character qualifications are. We don't need to make them up. We don't need to, you know, come up with some clever slogans. It's, It's right there. But godly character, though it's a necessity, it is not sufficient alone to be a deacon. We want everyone to be godly, but you can be really godly and not really good at deaconing. So, A deacon, according to 1 Timothy 3, must also possess some level of skill in efficient service in the body. You'll notice there in verses 10 and 13, he actually speaks about serving or or deaconing. And he makes it clear that deacons must have shown an exemplary pattern of service before the eyes and ears of the body of Christ and then properly examined prior to becoming a deacon. So very similar to the way an elder would be chosen. We just don't throw people into offices without some type of proper examination. In other words, they were deaconing these people here before they ever got the title. You want to know who's qualified to be an elder? They're already eldering without the title. You want to know who someone's truly qualified to be a deacon? One of the things you'll look for is they're already deaconing. They're already showing exemplary service and godly character. In verse 10, they have, been, they have proven themselves blameless. Verse 13, they serve well and are granted great confidence when they stand before the Lord on the last day. Uh, why should deacons be good or skilled at serving? Very simple. Deacons are not called to be problem makers. They are called to be problem solvers. Not problem makers, problem solvers. To help make, put some some grease uh, on the axle there to help keep the church moving on smoothly. Now, before we lead, the elders and I, in a time of Q&A, I've asked each of the elders, so Jeff, Tom, and Alan, you guys can come on up. I've asked each of these brothers to share a two to three minute testimony of grace on what the Lord has taught these men as your elders over the last 18 months. And they've only been elders since around September, so they haven't been elders that long. But what the Lord has taught them personally about what the Bible teaches about the importance of membership, uh, deacons, elders, and all those other things. Uh, Each of these brothers are going to share from their own experience 
And then they're all going to share at some point in there how their views have maybe been either expanded or clarified or maybe even radically changed about their understanding of what a deacon is based off their previous experiences, but also now looking at the Bible together. So I'm just going to have each of these brothers. We'll just start with this order. Jeff, Tom, then Alan. You can come on up, brothers. Thank you, Pastor Blake. Um, Before we get started talking a little bit about what we're learning as elders and deacons and so forth, uh, I want to just express to you guys my appreciation and love for you um, as a church body. To be quite honest with you, having the opportunity to get to know many of you on a deeper than surface level um, has been a true highlight of the last several months for me. It's also been very humbling. When we started talking about the whole process of of becoming an elder, uh, it came very apparent to me very quickly that I don't have the ability or capacity within myself to do this. Um, But I'm learning, and I continue to learn, that I've got to lean on and be carried along by the Lord. You know, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians that um, he, he was kind of relaying a conversation that he was having with the spirit, kind of. And uh, he'd prayed that God would remove the thorn from the flesh, and God told him, but, but my grace is sufficient for you, for uh, my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Well, guys, i got to be honest with you. God is showing me multiple and various ways that I can boast in my own weaknesses and giving him opportunity to show me that his grace is sufficient for me. So three things I want to talk to you a little bit about, and he said two to three minutes, and that's going to be tough. He's going to have to yank me back. Um, Meaningful church membership, the role of an elder, and then the role of a deacon. be honest with you guys, um, we've been called, we're in this role of that of a shepherd, and Jesus talked about the role of a shepherd in John chapter 10, right? He's talking about the shepherd knowing his sheep, We've come to know you through interacting with you through that deeper than surface level. A lot of you guys have also shared some of the temptations and trials that you're going through. That's vitally important for us to be able to know so that we can pray for you and minister to you. Jesus also talks about the good shepherd versus the hireling. The hireling sees the wolf coming and flees, and the wolf snatches and scatters the sheep. Well, shepherd doesn't do that. Well, guys, if we didn't know you, what you were going through, what what challenges you're facing, we can't really pray for you effectively. And so you guys being willing to share that with us and to be transparent gives us the opportunity to to minister to you in prayer. And we wouldn't be able to do that if we didn't have meaningful church membership the way we do, okay? The next thing is, what are we learning as elders? And, And Pastor Blake referenced Acts 6. Well, guys, there's a bit of a context there. The, the church in Jerusalem, was, was they had a conflict. They had a, a dispute, and it just about tore the church apart. But the apostles, in praying through things, laid out a plan, and then after laying out the plan, they followed up with this, Acts 6-4. They said, but we, being the elders, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So, guys, as we're looking at bringing about deacons to serve the church, it's important for us to understand that, that we, like Blake said, quoting from H.B. Charles, are, are, are serving by leading. We also need those deacons there alongside of us to lead by serving so that we can truly devote ourselves to prayer and ministry of the word to you. So as we're walking through this process, keep those things in mind. And then looking back at Acts 6, verse 7, if, if the, these two offices are working in conjunction biblically the way the Holy Spirit would have designed, listen to this. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. That's God's design. So as we've been walking through this process, that's what we're learning, and that's what we hope to see come to fruition here. Thank you. I would echo with Jeff. 
that uh, I have always loved the church. And I've always had a desire for the church to be what the church should be. And I have heard people refer to, we're a New Testament church. And I've often wondered what that really meant because churches seem to be different in a lot of ways, but yet they were similar in a lot of ways. And I, I could just say to you that the short time that I have been able to serve as an elder, it has been refreshing to me to try to look at these things from a scriptural standpoint and to understand what the Bible says about it, whether it's being an elder or a deacon, what it means to shepherd in 1 Peter 5, says, therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock, I'm learning what it means to shepherd in a way that I had never understood it before. To be honest with you, I'm seeing it modeled in my pasture in a way that I've never seen it before. I've never had a pastor that, like Blake, not only just preaches and desires to live it, but he wants to know each and every one of you he wants to pray with you. He wants to encourage you. If you need reproof, he's bold enough and frankly loving enough to do that. And it's really just an example of what we've been taught to do in Scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says to Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to miss. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So I've seen being a pastor, I guess, uh, in a totally different light, simply because we've looked in depth at what Scripture has to say and to see that there are two offices. We, we've always been in churches where we had the, the paid pastors, the seminary-trained guys, and then we had the deacons. Uh, so I've learned a lot in studying the difference between the elders and the deacons and how they work together. Frankly, studying deacon uh, has been pretty amazing to me. I've, I've been in situations where the deacons have primarily been asked to be servants, but also in situations where they're primarily asked to be leaders, decision makers, and to have authority. In studying this, really the most beautiful picture to me of what a deacon is is John 13 when Christ washed the disciples' feet. <laughs> he wasn't asked to do that. He took initiative to do that. He was the God of glory, yet he was willing to stoop and to take a knee to get down to the level to wash the dirt from these men's feet, something that none of them wanted to do. Instead, they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. It's a beautiful picture, and you don't have to be a deacon to be that kind of a servant. All of us should be servants, and that should be our heart and our desire. Uh, but that's just a beautiful picture of what I have learned and thought about as what a deacon really is. My desire is that we are truly the body of Christ, functioning as a healthy body under Christ, who is our head. It's not about titles. It's not about positions. It's about submitting yourselves one to another, considering others more important than yourself, showing preference to one another, loving one another. In a few minutes, we're going to go through our church covenant. 
And it just talks about the one another's that Scripture teaches. And so that's an encouragement to me that we think of one another unselfishly. We serve one another unselfishly. But we do it all for God's glory and for his honor as Christ's body, which is a beautiful thing because we have a beautiful Savior. So these have been good months. I'm learning a lot. They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but I'm almost 68, and frankly, I'm looking at things in a whole new light that I have never looked at it in quite that way before, and I'm thankful for it. Well, from where I stand now, I've got to admit that in the past, I didn't have a true love for the church. I thought I did. But what I had was a desire to be in church and to make it a priority in my life and for my family. But there were many times that the church, frankly, left me puzzled. That is until the Lord brought about CCBC. What has changed for me and enabled a true love for the church is having a church polity that is biblical. When we do things that are based solely on the scripture. I believe the New Testament clearly teaches a plurality of elders are to lead or oversee the local church. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And I remember Blake teaching on this and asking the question, how can this charge be fulfilled if the door to the church is wide open? How can a leader shepherd the soul of one who does not want to be led, such as an unregenerate person? If you don't have meaningful church membership that seeks to guard the entrance of the church against wolves and unregenerate members, then leaders will be in constant struggle with disunity and they'll be unable to fulfill their mandate to teach, to teach for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So a biblical church polity is one that has a plurality of elders and meaningful church membership under congregational authority. When the elders are fulfilling their role of teaching and keeping watch over souls, that means being in the trenches. That's with members in life struggles, in sin struggles, battling for faith. Then it just logically flows that they need help in meeting all the needs and demands of ministry in a local church. And that's where the role of deacon comes in. A deacon is that exemplary assistant that can take a specific task and faithfully complete it. A deacon serves at the direction of the elders to shoulder those ministry burdens that otherwise would keep the elders from their primary charge of teaching and shepherding the hearts of those that they must give account for. So biblical church polity is this, a plurality of elders whose primary task is to teach and keep watch over the souls of the members. Meaningful church membership that examines carefully the confession of a person as a follower of Christ. That meaningful church membership then leads to the enabling of church discipline and deacons to fulfill the ministry needs that would otherwise distract the elders from teaching and shepherding, and all of this under a congregational authority. That's a biblical church, and that is one that I love, and I love you guys. Well, these brothers love you and have spent many hours praying for you and thinking through things to help shepherd this flock together. Again, as I've mentioned many times, pray that God would raise up more gifts of leadership in our church because more hands to the plow makes it easier on us all and blesses the congregation in the long run. So over the last six weeks or so, we've had a box sitting out there, a shoe box, could have been a Nike box that got a hole cut in it, I don't know. But, uh, but it was a box, 
and we had the opportunity for you to submit any questions you had. Uh, we didn't have a lot. Either A, I'm that clear, or that you're that forgetful, or you're scared to ask the question. Um, so what I did was I took the few questions that were given, and then I thought through, listening to my own talks again, what questions did I not explicitly answer that I could answer that I think you would be interested in me answering, or at least you probably will be asked by someone else if not. So I'm going to walk through these. Uh, there's about six or seven questions total. When I'm done with all six to seven questions, we're going to have a time where I'm just going to go ahead and have this so I don't forget. How could you hold that? Um, where if you want me to clarify the answer to any of the questions I give, we can give clarity. If you have a new question, a different question, one that just pops in your head or one that you've been going, well, I've been saving this one instead of submitting it in the box. If that's you, uh, you'll have the opportunity to ask that question. It doesn't mean it's the last time you'll ever be able to ask a question. But these brothers have graciously said they would come up and help shoulder those questions if they have, uh, if they come up. And then once we are done, we will come together at the Lord's table. So let me walk through these. If you want to jot down these questions, you're more than welcome. It's also being recorded so you can listen to later. Question number one. If someone desires to serve as a deacon, what should this member do to express their desire? So, you know, Johnny wants to be a deacon. What does he, what does he do with that desire or aspiration or happiness to serve in that way? Uh, what would be the process of someone being evaluated or examined at CCBC? Okay, so that's kind of the starting block question. This is probably the more, most thorough answer I'll give, and these will be things that we'll probably put in print so you can have for you. Uh, first thing, that member should express that desire. Uh, hopefully they've prayed through that. Uh, express it to another member of the church, and then hopefully express it to one of the elders. That's what we're here to do, to shepherd your heart and to hear more about, hey, where did that desire come from? How long have you been thinking about that? How long have you been praying about it? Uh, certainly we want to encourage that member, or you encouraging that member, uh, if they are wanting to serve the church in that way. Uh, also, with any member or elder that that person would express that desire to, uh, they should be able to answer this question pretty much on the spot if they're that courageous to finally say they want to do that. Uh, why do you want to serve as a deacon? It's a fantastic question to ask. Why? Would you happily serve in the ministry of CCBC if you are never formally recognized as a church deacon? There's a motive challenge there. So why do you want to serve? And would you be happy serving in the life of our church if you were never formally recognized as a deacon? So really good heart questions to wrestle through. Uh, that person would be encouraged to read all the relevant biblical passages again, re-listen to the previous talks, and read the articles that were sent out through the e-newsletter and the videos. Uh, Matt Smethers' book is probably going to be, we haven't decided as an elder to like make it a policy, but if someone were to serve as a deacon, we will probably strongly encourage them to read Matt Smethers' book, Church Deacons, just to make sure this deacon candidate understands what the role of a deacon is. Then, if they are still interested, we'd encourage them to sit down with a fellow church member, someone they trust that will give them honest feedback. So mean, the, one of the fruits of meaningful church membership is you have members that love you, and are willing to give you honest, encouraging, but maybe constructive feedback. So they should be able to maybe answer this question for you. Uh, do you think I meet the qualifications laid forth in 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13? In other words, are there anything in my life that you think is a blemish that I need to grow in that would disqualify me right now in my life? And then secondly, are there ways that you feel I'm serving the church well, are there ways I could improve in my serving? So in other words, a teachable spirit says, hey, before I, you know, think more about this, I'd like to get honest feedback from a fellow member that I trust. As far as examination goes, uh, we will periodically leave a box, probably right there on the table uh, here in the church, for you to submit the following information. We will give you forms to do this. Number one, write down the deacon candidate's name, the person you are recommending along with your name. So you're going to have to put some skin in the game. If you're going to put someone's name down, you're going to put your name down too if you're publicly affirming them 
as qualified. Make sure you also, because deacons are task-oriented. A deacon of what? What service team? What ministry? A deacon of what? So name, your name, what deacon ministry are you referring to, and why? What makes you think this person's qualified to be a deacon? You need to fill that out, submit it to the box. Once the elders have collected names, we will discuss those names in our elders meeting, pray over whether we want to speak with this person about their recommendation. Upon the agreement on the el- with the elders, we will plan to send that person a questionnaire for them to answer, which will include their responsibility to let the elders know if they want to pursue for- forward in this nomination. So we'll send a questionnaire, very similar to the way we would do elders, and they will have the choice on whether to fill it out or to say, I don't think I'm interested at this time. Once the questionnaire is filled out, the elders will look over the responses. If we move forward, we will speak with them directly. And if they're married, we will also speak with their spouse as well and ask any follow-up questions. Pending the elders' decision at that point, we would move to the next step of the elders recommending to the congregation that we vote to install them in a diaconate role in the next members' meeting. So that's the basic examination process moving forward. Question number two. What about ordination? Are we ordaining deacons? If someone from outside of our church asks, does your church ordain deacons, what should I tell them? The short answer is no, not at least in the way that term is used in some of our Baptist circles. To ordain in many denominational circles implies ecclesiastical authority, like the same level of authority of a pastor would have. In some circles, it even has the connotation of some kind of grace being mystically bestowed from one person's hands to the next when they are, quote, ordained. But when we look in the New Testament, not merely in church tradition, what we find is that the scriptures don't seem to give that type of understanding of ordination. So we will probably not use those words for elders and deacons because of all the baggage that comes with the word ordination. So what what words would we use? Well, throughout the New Testament, what we see is the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands uh, denotes more of setting apart, affirming, appointing, installing, and commissioning. Uh, Those are the kind of words we will use for elders and deacons. Uh, This is normally done, as I've already mentioned, by laying on of hands and the reciting of vows to that office whether on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening. Uh, If you look in your packets in page three, if you want to look quickly in there, we're not going to walk through this. This is for you to take home. You will notice that this is, this could be slightly edited at some point, but the the elders have looked at this. Very similar to the office of elder. We have something like this when we uh, install new elders. The language is certainly different. It is certainly, you know, obviously edited for deacons, But if you'd like to read through what a deacon is being commissioned to do, these are the vows, these are the job description of what a deacon would be doing. So you can take that home and look at it further. Question number three, what if I don't know the deacon candidate well enough to vote confidently on their nomination? Well, friends, we don't have a 15-person church. We don't have a 30-person church. We don't have a 75-person church. We don't have a 90-person church. We have a 101-person church, which means unless you are a crazy social butterfly extrovert who knows everybody all the time, which I don't know a lot of you like that. This is more of an introverted church. It's a little different for me. I'm kind of known as the extrovert, which is odd. But anyway, you're not going to know everybody. That's just welcome to the club. It's just not going to happen. So if someone's nominated to be a deacon and you're going, well, I don't know them. What should I do? Well, do you want to get to know them? If you do, grab a coffee, grab a meal, hang out after the service, get to know them. But if you don't want to do that, trust your elders. It doesn't mean we're we're, we're not fallible. It doesn't mean that we can never be wrong. But the reason why God has given the church elders is that we are leading the church in a direction. So unless you have clear, substantial, evidential reasons to vote no, 
then you should ordinarily trust the elders if we bring a nomination to you. Number four, have our CCBC elders come to a conviction on whether women can serve as deacons? The elders have studied this topic together and have had very good discussions on this specific question. According to our constitution and bylaws, we as a church do not forbid a woman in the office of serving in the office of deacon, uh, nor does our statement of faith clearly forbid it. However, we have also recognized that many in our church have grown up only ever seeing men serving as deacons in the church. That's why we put out all these resources through emails and articles, uh, the two talks that I've taught on for you to study the Bible on these different uh, issues. Uh, just to be very transparent, we want to lean more into transparency than hiding things from you. Uh, so just be really clear, we're not in sharp division over this topic. But we do have slightly different levels of agreement on the specifics of it. Uh, and so there's really a spectrum on this particular topic. You could be strongly for, strongly against, lightly for, lightly against. And you have your different reasons for it. So as the elders have prayed and discussed for quite some time, we're not all in total agreement on the same spectrum of where we're at, but we're not in sharp polar opposite divisions. So I just want to lean more into transparency than not. Uh, we are not in any kind of sharp division. We are charitably listening to one another, understanding concerns, looking at the Bible together, persuading one another, challenging one another so that we can lead together in unity. So for the purposes of the question, the answer is this. The elders will never bring a deacon candidate before the congregation we do not feel meets the biblical qualifications. And that goes for men or women. So that's just the clearest answer we can give you right now. We will never present someone to you we do not feel is qualified for the office. Number five, according to our bylaws, deacons won't operate as a decision-making body like, like a board, like the elders how will the deacons communicate with the elders in their respective ministries of what must be done? We actually have an entire document that explains how the deacons and elders will work together. The short answer is deacons will be paired with elders. So each elder will have probably at the beginning, because there will probably be more deacons than elders, probably one to two, maybe even sometimes three deacons report to that elder on their respective ministry. Do you need more volunteers? Uh, do you need more resources? Uh, hey, here's something we discussed in the elders meeting. Uh, can you make sure this is carried out? Or what are ways that we can help with your respective deacon ministry team? Chemistry, volunteers, uh, some challenges you're facing. There will be paired up so that the deacon doesn't report to all the elders formally, but goes to their respective deacon that, or elder that they're paired with. I can send you this if you're super like, interested and geeked out by knowing about it. Um, I can give it to you in an email. Number six, if I currently serve as a service team leader, does that automatically mean I will be considered to serve as a deacon? Friends, we have been so blessed over the last 18 months as a church to have service teams meet different needs in the life of our church. They have been really serving in many ways as diaconos, as servants, and that's exactly what they're designed to do. But for us to be biblical, we need to adhere to 1 Timothy 3. So 1 Timothy 3 says they need to be evaluated. They need to be examined. Well, we haven't done that for any service team leaders at any point, any formal sense. And so every service team leader, if they are uh, recommended by you and the elders, will need to be evaluated and examined properly according to this new process. So... Yeah, that's just kind of the quickest way I can answer that. And then one question that came in today, uh, are there a set of number of deacons for a specific diaconate ministry or role? Like, do you need one, two, three deacons for child care, security, etc.? It's a fantastic question. Uh, the clearest uh, answer is some ministries will require more than one deacon. Uh, so the more volunteers and the more moving parts for a particular ministry more than likely will require more than one deacon. Because if one deacon goes down, sick, vacation, uh, they're kind of on the verge of feeling burned out, it's really nice to have an extra pair of hands on that ministry. So that's just a case-by-case, ministry-by-ministry situation. 
Guys, those are all the questions that we have either received or prepared to answer. Are there any questions that I can expand on, clarify, or new questions that the elders uh, can be of help to you? Just raise your hand and Jansen will run to you like he has never run before. Or maybe he'll just walk. Any questions? Jeff. Don't pull a hammy. Okay, you spoke about females being deacons. And I I listened carefully, and it's possible I missed something. I realize that happens from time to time. I'm wonderfully married to a wonderful wife that points that out. I'm guilty of it, I realize. But can you clarify the answer? I, I heard an element of unity, but it wasn't clear to me what the exact answer was. Well, the answer is there are different opinions on the elder board about how strongly or lightly for or against the elders are for having women deacons. So that's, that's the clearest answer. If you're asking what the Bible teaches, I would say when you look at the text, when you look at those first two talks, the debate is getting over the nature of the Greek word gynaikos in verse 11, and do deacons possess ecclesiastical authority? That is the question. So if deacons possess authority over men, according to 1 Timothy 2.12, just like an elder does, then a woman can't serve as a deacon. But if women don't possess, I'm sorry, if a diacon, diaconate role does not possess authority in the same way an elder does, it's an office of service, it's an office of facilitating serving, uh, then it is very plausible and very possible uh, for women to serve as deacons. So what it is is the, the unclarity in the Greek has caused Christians to divide on what they do to apply it in their church context. So we as elders would say this is not an issue for our church to have this massive crater or division over. That would be super unfortunate and foolish. Uh, but as this is a new topic for many, for many people, they haven't stared at this topic uh, as long as others have. And so we just want to be slow in helping people think through that uh, together. So that would be the answer is we will never present anyone we don't feel is qualified, men or women. And as elders, we're not sharply divided, but we're on different areas of the spectrum. Does that answer it? Any other questions? Can you clarify um, the service team leaders and deacons? Will deacons take the place of service team leaders, or will there still be those two different areas, I guess? Yeah, good question. So Julie's basically asking, do deacons, once they're installed, do they automatically replace the service team leader? The quickest answer is yes and no. So in some service teams, there will be a deacon over that ministry because we need a deacon in that ministry. It is a lot of volunteers, a lot of moving parts, a lot of potential for division in our church if we don't have the deacons. There are some service teams that are kind of a one or two person show and we might feel that it doesn't need necessarily a deacon. It just means it needs a happy member that's willing to serve whenever they can. Uh, we may create new ministries in the next six months because new needs arise in our church, and we need a deacon over that ministry. But not all the service teams will require a deacon because as, as we've watched it for 18 months, some have high intensity and oversight. Others are just maybe not as much. So we haven't formally def- decided that yet. But that would be kind of the answer is kind of a yes and no. So, any other questions? Caitlin. Is there going to be like a set requirement of hours or something expected throughout the week other than like a Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday kind of thing for a deacon? You mean like office hours? Well, like if, I don't, I don't know, like if we have to come in and do something, um, like, are, are we going to be expected a certain amount of time throughout the week to do certain roles, or is it just um, when congregations meeting? Yeah, I would say each service team will have some duties that are just simply on Sunday. It's just superfluous to do it beyond that. Uh, some deacon ministries that might be created over time, so like over facilities, that's going to require something more than just Sunday. 
that might be, you know, different days throughout the week at different times. Um, yeah, so there's not necessarily a set amount of hours or whatever, but every ministry will ac- accumulate over time greater and lesser needs. So we, we've probably got a pretty good understanding of it now after being here for 18 months, but that may change if our church grows or expanding in the building. So, yeah. Any other questions for these guys or me? Daryl Daly. What would you tell, a, say, a new family visiting in, in the husband says, I've been a deacon where I've served before. Do I automatically become a deacon here? What would you do in that situation? You asking these brothers? Whoever. I, let them take a shot on these. Y'all want to answer that one? But deacon after, for life? But a, a deacon serves, they may change their mind. What a deacon really does. Well, we would have to just begin where the scripture says we'd have to examine, have to test. Um, they'd have to go through the qualification. Just, yeah, it's not an automatic. Yeah, I think one thing that needs to be radically corrected, I'm just censoring a lot of things in my head. People think just because they were a pastor at First Baptist, whatever, or a deacon at wherever, that they're a deacon or elder for life. No, you are an elder and deacon if a church affirms you as one. And once you are no longer a member of that church, you are no longer a deacon or a pastor. So you might be qualified because you're godly, you're gifted, and we have no reasons not to make you an elder or deacon at this church. But it's a local church's responsibility to affirm their own deacons and elders. So this kind of idea of this like walking around with your deacon card and your deacon certificate, that needs to stop. It's just not helpful. Yeah. Anyway, there's some, never mind, it's Sunday night. Anyone else? Any other questions? I hope this series has been encouraging and helpful and hopefully clarifying. I don't ever want to be unclear. Not everything in Scripture is as clear as other things, but that's our hope is to shepherd God's people in clarity. If you have any questions, you can talk to these brothers offline. You can talk to me. Uh, Let me close this in prayer, and we will come to the Lord's table. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is sufficient and authoritative over our life. Lord, we know that we are constantly being reminded how we need to be taught and retaught, reformed and continue to reform our thinking in every area of our life, our marriages, our thought life, our money, how we spend our time, what elders and deacons and churches are. Father, give us all teachable hearts. Help us be quick to acknowledge what we don't know. Uh, Help us be quick to listen to one another and quick to grab our Bibles to ask, what have you said? and not necessarily our own opinions. Lord, we pray now as we come around your table that we would partake in a worthy manner as we examine what Christ has done for us and as we examine our relationships with one another. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.